0: The day we've all dreaded at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer is here. It's Jane Cahoon's final day with us before she goes off on retirement. She has made an enormous difference in the journalism of Ohio. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my sad colleagues, Laura Johnston and Layla Tassi. And my, I think pretty excited colleague, Jane Cahoon. <laughs> How are you all?
1: I'm sadder than you think, okay? I'm sad.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> not buying right? it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk in a little bit about Jane's highlights and lowlights and a little bit about her career. So let's get to some questions. What's the latest news on school districts falling victim to COVID and canceling classes just as the school year begins? Layla Tassi, I thought we had a complete list when we went to bed last night, but Cliff Pinkard put up another one overnight. Oh, my goodness. Things are going badly.
2: I missed that one. Well, you know, this is just becoming such a mess. Last week, we had that story of the Fairfield School District shutting down after just one week because of COVID. This week, we saw two more districts, apparently a third. <laughs> so Sandusky and Athens and Southern Ohio having to pull the plug on in-person classes because of COVID exposure in an era when the Delta is just rampant and kids under 12 are still unvaccinated. So in Sandusky, where coincidentally the superintendent is former cleveland school ceo eugene sanders did you know that <laughs> they had to they had to move to a remote learning model for middle and high school students until september 3rd because four teachers tested positive sanders said in a video statement that so far the district isn't Implementing a mask mandate, but they reserve the right to do that. With all due respect, I mean, duh. I would say if your district can't get through a week of in-person learning without a COVID exposure problem, you should probably have everyone start wearing masks immediately. So then there's the Athens school. Um, Athens schools, where six of their 18 bus drivers are sick, so they couldn't get kids to school at all. They're just bagging school altogether until after Labor Day and tapping into their reserve of calamity days to do that. Part of their problem is that like too many districts around here, they have failed to submit a declaration of blended learning with the state that would allow them to toggle to remote learning to avoid school closures in a situation like this. Today is the deadline for that. So we'll see how many districts heeded the cautionary tales of these other schools and scrambled to turn something in. Otherwise, we're going to see kids quarantining for two week stretches without getting any instruction. And these districts are going to lose the option of using remote learning as a buffer on either side of those holiday breaks to keep Thanksgiving and Christmas from becoming super spreaders in the schools. Man, we're this far into the pandemic and still so much foolishness. I can't believe how little planning.
0: And Cliff reported the Lebanon school district closed down until next Tuesday. They got 80 students that have it, ten more that have been tested. Nine hundred are under quarantine. This is this look. What's amazing about this is that we're acting surprised, right? Because every medical expert who has credibility predicted this was going to happen. They said, you send kids back to school, especially without masks, you're going to have massive outbreaks in the schools. We're a week and a half in, basically, to schools reopening, and we're already seeing them fall like dominoes. I Again, I think over the next few weeks, this will be a constant theme. One district after another, having to close down for a week or two, to to get there we'll have to check in and see if fairfield reopens tomorrow remember they closed last monday through today but does that mean that, that the kids are better? or Are they gonna look tomorrow and see there's more absences? I mean, how long will schools have to shutter because of this? So I, I just think this is going to be the story of September as more and more kids are infected. And it's frightening because some of the kids are getting very, very ill. Everybody thought at the beginning of the pandemic, children know what's no big deal. It is a big deal. And it's, a, and it's a, still a disease that we don't know what the long-term ramifications are. Um, I don't know how you and Laura Johnston um, are sleeping at night. Sending your <laughs> I, I, I am not every sleeping day. well.
3: Could I just say that? And it, it it is schools. Obviously, that is the biggest problem. But you think about extracurriculars, we already have kids quarantining for our hockey program because there was a COVID um, positive test. And so you're thinking... I thought, okay, I dropped my kid off last night for evaluations, and I thought maybe everybody will be wearing masks because this is a big wake-up call. We already have a kid out. We already have kids quarantining. But still, no one was wearing masks, even though the the big yellow sign of the door says masks are highly recommended. And I'm making my kid wear one and, like, get dressed at home so he's not in the locker room so long. And I, I, I expected more parents would be doing that.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see if the extracurriculars are next. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How much money is Joe D'Ambrosio getting from the state to compensate him for the prosecutorial misconduct that put him in prison for over 20 years, including on death row, for a murder he did not commit? Jenkin Kuhn, this has been a long-running story uh, pretty much for most of your career. And it finally <laughs> is coming to a close. It's staggering how much this guy has been through all because Cuyahoga County prosecutors were really sleazy in the way they convicted him of a capital case.
1: Well, to answer your question, he's gonna get a million dollars and that amount was approved on Monday by the Ohio Controlling Board. And so this is really the final hurdle in his, as you said, a couple decades long effort to get state compensation for the time he spent behind bars. Uh, Just to refresh people's memories, D'Ambrosio of North Royalton, he was sentenced to death in 1989 for the murder of Anthony Klan. Uh, Klan's body was found floating in Brook in Cleveland's Rockefeller Park. Uh, D'Ambrosio was released in 2010, so 11 years ago, after a judge found that the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office withheld evidence at his trial that that might have acquitted him. Uh, And it gets a little complicated after they found Klan's body They accused him and and two other guys, Thomas Keenan and Edward Espinoza, of abducting him and killing him while they were trying to find Klan's roommate. I guess they suspected uh, him of stealing drugs from them. So uh, D'Ambrosio and Keenan were sentenced to death after this third guy cut a deal with prosecutors to testify against them. But then in 2006, uh, a North Olmstead priest helped D'Ambrosio uh, obtained case files that had evidence showing that prosecutors had withheld evidence that that concluded that Klan couldn't have been killed at Doan Creek, Creek as the um the guy who testified against them had claimed. So anyway, so this is, as I said, like the last step. Uh, I have to say the prosecutor's office does not see, D'Ambrosio as a sympathetic figure, to say the least. They said that it's beyond dispute that he admitted to participating in the kidnapping and assault of Klan, and that he's the fact that he's being compensated at taxpayers' expense is appalling. But his lawyer said this is a major victory. It's going to allow him to finally move forward in his life and get some kind of justice here.
0: But if the prosecutor's office really felt like he was a criminal, then they shouldn't have cheated. You know, this is a sign that you got to play by the rules. They withheld lots of evidence that might have led to a not guilty verdict. They played dirty. It changed the rules of engagement in, with prosecutors and defense attorneys. And when you play dirty, the public pays. That's a lot of money that the taxpayers are forking over because the prosecutors broke the rules. You're listening to This Week in the CLE What's the little piece of good news that reporter Eric Heisig found in the new census results for Cleveland? Results that showed our population was still dropping. Laura Johnston?
3: Yeah, so this is some good news. Between 2010 and 2020, the number of occupied housing units in Cleveland actually increased. There was actually in 2010, people lived in one so 167,490 housing units. And that's all units from houses to units and apartment buildings. And last year, there were 167,681. So that's a really small increase. But when you're looking at the population of Cleveland, it actually dropped 6% in those 10 years. That's interesting. And some of the reason is the number of the total units have actually decreased because of um, demolish of de- demolition of the vacant houses and the blight. And then there's been a lot of building in places like Ohio city and Tremont and downtown.
0: Well, yeah, the, the idea that we could have higher occupancy seems like it runs against the theme of lower population. Um, it, and when I first heard of this, I thought it was a percentage of the existing housing which would be okay we had a lot of demolished buildings so of Mm -hmm. course the occupancy rate is up but that's not what it was he actually used the hard numbers of occupied buildings and those are up and that is a big deal especially in a city where there's far fewer housing units available so that's good news it might mean that we've bottomed out and that our population will start to grow in 10 years from now We'll, uh, we'll have to see if the census shows us growing, or at least you and Layla will. I'll be long gone, and Jane's going to be gone after today.
1: <laughs> You're listening to
0: This Week in the CLE. What was Jane Cahoon's best day, and what was her worst in her nearly 37 years of journalism in our Cleveland newsroom? A career that comes to a close this very day. What was her favorite story? And which one was most difficult? Jen Cahoon, it's your coda. Looking for you to reflect a little bit on what has been a marvelous career.
1: Oh, it's been great. I, first, I just want to thank you guys for the great discussions we've had here on this podcast. It, you know, I'm just so grateful to have worked with all of you guys. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank the listeners too. (laughs) Like, I can hardly believe they've been interested in anything I've had to say. It's just, it's been, but some of the feedback we get, you know, uh, is along those lines. So that's just wonderful. Well, we so got a you.
0: note yesterday from somebody saying, hey, I just want you to know that that Jane, more than anybody else on the podcast, including <laughs> you, Chris Quinn, is even and reasonable and knows what she's talking about. And I thought, wow, that is great. Praise, I will concede I that. <laughs>
1: That is so funny. But anyway, the questions you raised, it's really hard to be absolute uh, about this. But, you know, you asked about my best day. I'd have to say at the top of the list, Chris, is the day in the fall of 2014 when you brought me in and said, I want you to plan every detail of the Republican National Convention in 2016. And <laughs> and this this began this massive task that was so challenging, both organizationally and, and journalistically. And, and it culminated in my other best day, which was when we wrapped up all of our coverage with with this satisfaction of knowing we really did our best, that our coverage of what happened politically, uh, socially with parties, and on the streets with the protests was just top-notch. It, it felt so good, frankly, especially as a native Clevelander, to see how good our city looked and and how how our team performed. And, and so that was just that was a big day for me. So, Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the worst, you know, there have been plenty of bad days when you make a mistake or you miss a story or the election results are too late or, or whatever reason. But for me, I'd say the worst days were when colleagues were hurting. And we all know the news business has taken hits during my career, and and I just you know I've seen a lot of people lose their jobs, and it's just always so painful. And um, and I've also seen you know some of my former colleagues have died, and so you know there those things. Um, and then you know there was the horrible day that we found out that one of our colleagues had been murdered, um, Nikki Delamont, who was so bright and a wonderful young woman who was beloved and. I wasn't close to her but to see the pain that this senseless death caused it was just a horrible thing in our in our newsroom so those things stand out as the bad things for me okay um and then you asked about my favorite story which Now that's like asking a mother to pick (laughs) her favorite child. (laughs) Except we only have two or a couple. You have so many. (laughs) Yeah. So listen, I'll try not to blather on too much here, but you know, there's so much work that my colleagues have done, you know, to be incredibly proud of. So I I just want to cite a few bodies of work, if you'll indulge me. The RNC, of course, which I mentioned. You know, our watchdogging of the state budget, the. The top quality political analyses that we've done, and um, and maybe these are more recent in my mind, but I'm just so proud of what we've done on the House Bill Six scandal and the and the mm-hmm. First Energy business, from the legal analysis to the profiles of the characters to holding the legislature accountable. The the team that I work with has made me just beyond proud and um, just a couple others, the whole issue of gerrymandering, you know, Rich Exner's work and beating the drum on this problem, which led to reforms. And then then, uh, one other thing, Chris, this is really due to your leadership, but everything we've done on COVID, I mean, you recognized so early that this was going to be a huge issue way before anyone else did. And you kept pushing us to do all kinds of stories. We thought you were a little over the top, (laughs) kind of crazy, like, why is he so focused on this? But of course it turned out to be the story of the year. And it's still going on as we just talked about in the previous segment. So um, I'm also proud of that too, just the way we held people accountable, tried to get at the facts and the data here. And um, Uh, And then one final thing, um, a favorite story. This, you know, as I mentioned, all these things are my favorites, but I just do have one funny or fun story that stands out as a favorite. And I know this is off the wall, but it's the story we did about John Kasich, our former governor, stealing the airplane seat of a woman (laughs) because he didn't want to be bumped from first class. He basically plunked himself down in her seat and wouldn't move which inconvenienced her and forced her to take a different flight. But what was so perfect about that that story was not only that this woman happened to be a comedian who was really liberal, and she absolutely torched Kasich on social media and on her Mm -hmm. podcast, but it was because it gave people a true picture of the man. By then, he'd become this national celebrity, and the national media really had presented him as this God-fearing, compassionate Republican, the voice of reason, you know, the most righteous person. And we basically saw that he was completely rude, arrogant, self-centered. And um, the way the comedian put it, he was dripping with disdain for people who, in his mind, aren't as important as he is. And that's why I love that story. Yeah,
0: that was was a great story because it really portrayed him as the jerk that he is. Hey, a couple of things. Look, I don't think people... Really understand that for 20 years the coverage of the state house and what's gone on in politics has been managed almost exclusively by Jane, almost the entirety of those 20 years. And we're not based in Columbus like The Dispatch is or some others. And so we we had our team specialize in analysis and 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 exploration and investigative work. And what i always appreciated about you jane is nothing came through your hands that didn't have a high standard of excellence and when we when we (laughs) asked you to be on this podcast you hated being on anything you were like i'm behind the scenes i don't want to do it you came in kicking and screaming but you forced
1: me but what
0: (laughs) but what i'm glad about is that through this podcast people got to know you and they should because you have meant so much to this state and to our readers and to the audience. And so in this last year and a half, people got to know the person that 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 is Jane Cahoon. And I'm I'm just glad that you were willing to do it. And I'm glad they got <laughs> to know you. Well, and Laura, before I wrap it up, you wanna say anything?
3: I, yes, I have, I go have ahead, a question Laura. for Jane. I feel like everybody's always talking about the good old days. And I wondered, Jane, you've been through a lot of administrations um, for governor, for, for president. Do you have a, time period that you think of as the good old days or a favorite administration that you covered
1: <sighs> that, uh, that is so difficult. I mean, you know, in its own way, the Trump administration certainly was a gold mine for stories. But looking back on it, I don't know if it seems to be that good because of a lot of the mistakes we made in the way we we handled him. And um so, yeah. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can come up with an answer on that.
0: <laughs> Layla.
2: I, you know, I just want to say, um, now I'm going to get choked up. I just want to say, you know, how much I have admired and looked up to you these past, you know, oh. two decades that we've, um, worked together. I, I was only your direct report for a brief stint, but I have always respected you for your kind nature and your, deep well of institutional knowledge. I mean, Chris is right. You are the gold standard. You are irreplaceable. And I feel really cheated that for the last couple of years of your career, the pandemic robbed us all of the benefit of sharing space with you in the newsroom. But I feel so lucky to have shared space with you on this podcast. And um, you will be so missed, but your influence will remain. And I know that I will, as I often do, ask myself, what would Jane do? <laughs>
1: oh, come on, and, <laughs> you guys! Uh, this is just too, too no. much. No, and mean, so I, love I just, you guys.
2: I will wishing miss you. you all the best, good health, and traveling on a whim, and many hours with new hobbies and good books. And umbrella <laughs> drinks and all
3: the things yes. of Martini. Fr- <laughs> you, you won't, you won't be stuck at the office going like,
1: "Well, there's my Martini hour right now <laughs> on a Friday." I think you, I think you've just taken my tears away. But with that, thank you so so much, you guys.
0: You are listening to this week in the CLE. What are some of the names that people who listen to this podcast think we should use as we contemplate changing it to more accurately reflect? reflect what we talk about okay I'm not going to turn this over to you guys because I got the email Um, but we need to we need to talk about this because we do need to rename it we we started this as a weekly podcast where we talked to reporters when the pandemic began we made it a daily weekday podcast where we're talking about the news with regulars and so when you go to Apple Podcasts now and you see this week in the CLE you think it's a weekly news magazine when it's really a daily. And it's not really about the CLE. It's about all of Ohio. We talk about local. We talk about statewide. Um, we seem to get a bigger audience for statewide. So we asked readers what, or readers, we asked the audience what they thought we might call it, and they sent in some ideas. So I'm going to run them by you. And be nice. These are our listeners, and they care about what we do, so don't say anything mean. Um, <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland.com Political Roundup.
3: Okay. We're gonna no. go one by one. I, I think yeah. we cover. This is Laura Johnston. I think we cover a lot more than politics.
1: So, agreed. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. For sure.
0: Today in the CLE, and the person said, "I listen to the podcast because it's Cleveland-centric, which includes statehouse news that affects the CLE."
2: I. I. That was one that uh, I. I thought of that back when you know when when this started going on a daily basis today in the CLE seem to make more sense, but you know how I feel about the, in the CLE okay. part, that,
3: that it's just the airport that we're going to be talking about what the flights are taking off.
2: Yeah.
1: It's so funny because I, I like the CLE. That's one of my favorite parts, but I realize we, we go beyond the CLE. So it's, it's probably a losing argument, but.
0: The um, Ohio news daily. I came from one of the... might sound wasn't. too
1: similar to the New York Times podcast, The Daily. We don't want to copy them, right?
0: Okay. I, um, <laughs> the the one, one person said, I know that originally Cleveland.com was the plain dealer. So it's cool that they think of Cleveland.com almost independent because we've done so much to build that brand. But they wondered whether plain dealer talk would be something that would work.
3: You know, that's a really interesting suggestion. When my mind was going to possibilities, I didn't think anything about like using the Plain Dealer brand, um, because we are so focused online on cleveland.com, but that's a really interesting facet of, of, of ways we could go, I guess.
0: I do wonder again, if I'm on Apple podcasts and I see Plain Dealer talk and, and I'm in Cincinnati, would I know what that is? Would that tell you what that is?
2: No if you don't know that the plane dealer is the daily newspaper of cleveland then no but who doesn't know that i don't know one time i did call a source an introdu- out of state and introduce myself as a plane dealer reporter and they were like wait a minute you deal in airplanes <laughs> <laughs> so this goes back to the airport
0: <laughs> <laughs> look i, I the, the, the the thing is that a lot of people have found this podcast by using google voice searches for news and we're we're you know, we have huge number of listens that way. We have a whole project where we're focused on that. And we're one of the national leaders in local news that you get through your devices. And so when they ask the question and they get the answer from this week in the CLE, they don't really get a tie to the Plain Dealer or Cleveland.com necessarily. Uh, we introduced the podcast as that, but I'm not sure that the Plain Dealer brand would work to do what we're trying to do here. And the last one that was offered was NE Ohio Daily News Roundup.
3: NE as in Northeast.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh. A little cryptic.
3: Yeah, I I think that's a little tougher and I I do I I mean we use the Northeast Ohio term all the time and obviously we cover at least seven counties and and a lot more, but I think Cleveland is catchier than Northeast Ohio, especially when you're trying to fit it in a small box in a podcast. I guess now, as a
1: statehouse person, I'd almost prefer just Ohio because we do cover Ohio.
2: What about well, today and that, and in Ohio?
0: Well, actually, I was. that's where we're headed. Today in Ohio from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer because then you get it all.
3: Do we have to type mm-hmm. that every little, time? The, the, the little entire logo.
0: Thing? No, it'll be today in Ohio, but but it'll the tie to Cleveland will be where it's coming from. That's kind of where we're headed now. We got to make a decision soon. We also have to bring in, sadly, a replacement for Jane Cahun, and we're hoping to do that all together. So we'll see. Let us know what you think. It's this week in the CLE, at least for a few more days. <laughs> Why? Is it suddenly fashionable for Republicans to attack big business? Jane Cahoon, we're coming in for a landing on this podcast, and it's just your last day. I think you should take the last question.
1: Okay. Well, I, I thought that Andrew Tobias really laid this out well in a in a story that he did. You know, what's happening nationally as well as here in Ohio with this wave of so-called populism. Yes, Republicans are... No longer the reliable friend of business. And you can see this in our Senate race here, where we have people like car dealer Bernie Marino refusing to accept corporate PAC money. And we have people like JD Vance uh, bashing businesses that outsource jobs, saying we need to punish them with tax hikes and criticizing those that he thinks, you know have stood up on, um, social issues that, that he finds unacceptable. And, and then we've got our Republican legislature, which is hostile to LGBTQ people and has pushed socially conservative policies that, that many businesses feel drive young people out of the workforce. Um, the legislature has been trying to ban transgender girls from sports, um, Governor Mike DeWine recently signed a budget bill with a provision that allows medical professionals to deny care to people if it violates their religious or moral beliefs. And let's not forget the bill that's being considered now that would ban employers from requiring vaccines, which many business people see as interfering with their rights to operate their businesses with the policies they choose. So one of the people Andrew in, interviewed was Steve Stivers, a Republican former congressman from the Columbus area who left to head the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. He, he's noticed what he called a new phenomenon of populist Republicans and socialist Democrats who are very anti-business. He said it's a concerning trend, not just for who's our next U.S. senator, but for legislation for coming out of Washington and Columbus. So um, under Stivers, the chamber is is trying to expand its political action committee, which I thought was really interesting, you know, increasing its funding and giving money to what they consider pro-business Republicans and some Democrats, too. So um, as I said, it's, you know, there's a lot more here that that he explains about you know, voting rights legislation and how that got, um, you know, the pushback on that from Coca-Cola and Delta got people all got a lot of Republicans worked up and how they're just not, they just don't want to be taken for granted now.
0: What struck me about the story was the idea that what the Republican party is becoming, as it gets controlled more and more by this fringe group, the Josh Mandels that are so willing to, to do this kind of thing, it, it, it will will that drive big business to the Democrats. You know, the Democratic Party has largely rebuffed the far left, and it's the Biden kind of moderates that that are holding forth. And they're not anti-business. So, could we really turn the system upside down, where the Democratic Party becomes the friend of big business?
1: Yeah, that that's you know, you got to read this story and you and see what kind of. Uh... Takeaway you 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 come away with because I you know as I said the chamber is now talking about you know supporting some Democrats that that favor its policies.
0: It would be interesting too if the money that comes out of big business for campaigns really started to focus on defeating the fringe elements that are that are trying to do these crazy things like like ban companies from being able to mandate vaccines. So we got to hope
1: for the best on our new maps that are going to be coming out soon for the for the uh, legislative and congressional districts to to fix gerrymandering and get rid Um, of some of these extremes.
0: hope for the best, but not expecting (laughs) the best. You're listening to this week in the CLA. That'll do it. So this is the end Jane Cahoon on this podcast. Jane, thank you so much for participating. I think you've been a tremendous presence. It's going to be very hard to replace you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast.